becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those other songs. You having fun? Oh yeah, totally. Okay. Doesn't take much. All right, you we're ready? On we're on it. I'm on it. Let's do this thing. Let's do this thing on the shores. To the shores. Hell yeah! Cheers. Mm. Thanksgiving week. Yeah. I was thinking about it today. I'm kind of surprised we're still allowed to do Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, that's right. It's like I'm allowed. It hasn't. Uh, I'm allowed. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten. Uh, you know, thrown under the woke bus. Yeah, yeah. You definitely hear it every Thanksgiving, and but it's like it's, it's not really what it means anymore. It's or if if it did mean that at some point, like, like what it meant originally. Yeah, and even if I don't even know if it meant that originally, it's like it's like it's really about gathering with family and friends and yeah. being thankful. I mean, like. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, let's just keep it simple and, and just be thankful and enjoy each other's company and not guilty trope each other about right. some idea that you might have, you know? It is kind of like one of the one holidays that, um, like whatever, oh. hey, hey bud, whatever, um, it's just kind of whatever it means to you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have like Christmas has a, a deep, um, meaning at least to some people, <clears throat> But Thanksgiving, you know, ever has been since like elementary school that we've really talked about the origins. Nobody really cares. Mm-hmm. It's just like we want to be with our family, take some time off work, eat a bunch of good food. Yeah. Watch some football if you're into that. Day drink. <laughs> totally. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's not surprising that the uh, the the postmodernists haven't taken that from us yet. I think that'd be like a, a, a line too far, you know, it's like, yeah, just kind of like <laughs> leave us alone. We're just trying to watch football and eat and <laughs> enjoy each other. You yeah. Know? I mean, there was some sad stuff like with like, it seemed like with uh, Trump, like I, I was hearing a lot of people going home and the, just the political talk was almost so divisive that. Yeah. There was some of that, right. Yeah. <clears throat> During Trump's presidency. <clears throat> yeah, I just thought that was really sad. Yeah. I, that, that even happened <clears throat> in my family a little bit. Yeah. A couple of years ago, it got pretty tense. I don't <laughs> think we'd ever talked about politics before, but Trump kind of changed everything. That's wild. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a rough thing to like letting something like that get into it. I mean, at any family gathering, there should be a little tension and there should mm-hmm. be some uncomfortableness and that's good. You know, it's like, but I feel like some of this kind of went, uh, it's just some of the anecdotal stories I heard was kind of went a little bit too far as far as like, I'm never going back or (laughs) that kind of stuff. Right. It's like my, you know, I I guess being in Texas, you know, you do hear some of the stuff when Obama was, you know, president too, but it seemed like Trump was a lot more device divisive in that area. Yeah. He was like social napalm. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's like, you couldn't say like, if there was like, if there was like one thing he did good, he's like, no, he did nothing good. <laughs> nothing. It's not possible. <laughs> not possible. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, he got a lot wrong, but he did this one thing. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny how that, that can just 
that'll ruin a family gathering. Well, maybe we should do a little Shores of Ignorance, uh, say what we're thankful for Ooh. since it's Thanksgiving week. Dadgum. Bitcoin? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you got? Well, as far as, uh, you know, what's kind of relevant to the podcast, I think I've been just noticing how different I, my thoughts are over the last two years. And I think part of that's COVID part of that's the social unrest that sort of kicked off with George Floyd. And I think part of it is the fact that we've been having these conversations once a week for almost two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I've grown a lot. I feel like I've learned a lot. I feel like I have a, a much better hold on sort of how to talk about ideas. Um, I feel enriched by it. I'm really mm. thankful for that. Yeah. No, that's super cool. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm definitely thankful that, uh, as far as in Texas, uh, COVID's over. No, <laughs> 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 no, just everything sort of getting back to normal. And like, yeah, for sure. I'm not like, uh, business wise going, okay, are we going to make it through this month? Right. Are we going to make it through this month? I'm like, kind of feel a little bit, Oh, Okay. We made it. I think we can do this. You can actually declare we made it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It does feel that way. So just really thankful for that and uh, got a great team at at the shops and just really enjoying that. And yeah, just also just acknowledging that my kids are grown ups. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Like I'll have a 17 year old in about three weeks, you know, it's like, that's wild. Uh huh. Maybe four, but, uh, Quick, yeah. When's her birthday? <laughs> December 13th. Oh, wow. Good. <laughs> That's one thing I do have down is birthdays, you know, their ages, not so good, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking before the podcast about how when you move into this Thanksgiving season every year, it's like the beginning of some sort of reflective period that comes before the new year, you know, things slow down while social events sort of ramp up in terms of like the rest of your year is probably already basically spoken for, you know, um, business is going to slow down. You're gonna have time off work, um, spending more time with family traveling, maybe not, maybe, you know, um, but moving into a reflective space and like, what is the year? Where have we come from? Mm -hmm. What have we come through and what are we stepping into? Yeah. And last year it was hard to do that. Mm Mm-hmm because we were all still in this weird lockdown sort of mode, but it really feels like this is a change of season in many ways. Mm-hmm. We're, we're moving not just into a new year, but and out of 2021, but it kind of feels like we're moving out of the last two years Yeah, and into, you know, potentially something really new. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the, sort of social landscape, I think over the last couple of years, um, there's been a huge shift in things like social media as well as like the legitimate emergence of some of this web three stuff we're talking about, specifically cryptocurrency and NFTs. Um, and sort of geopolitically the climate is much different than, um, the one that I think we had in 2019. Yeah. So it feels like almost everything is ripe for, for newness or the unexpected. 
Yeah. There's also, I mean, a lot of tension, I think in that sort of that space too, you know, I think you see in Europe, which is interesting. It's not being televised at all is there's a lot of like, like anti-vax, uh, passports or anti-passport protests. protests yeah. yeah. Anti-passport vaccine. Protests. <laughs> <laughs> However you say it, there's like vaccine, anti-vaccine not mandate protests. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but which is not being shown. It's like, I think there's like a lot of tension in that. In fact, we had a, a friend who's about to have a baby and, um, and they were wanting her to get the vaccine. She works for a, a health, health, uh, care. And she was like, didn't want to because she didn't know what the effects were for an unborn child, which is fairly reasonable, you know? And her doctor wouldn't give her a note or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so it's just interesting. Like there is still a lot of tension between what we think and how to, how to move forward into this next space. And I think, yeah. you know, being in Texas, there's a little bit more leniency and, and choice and how you want to move forward, you know, and right. like what risk you're willing to take. And, um, which I kind of somewhat more agree with is that sort of, um, freedom to kind of choose how to move forward mm-hmm. and, and understanding the risk and stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, I feel I, thankful for that. I mm-hmm. feel thankful for where we live mm-hmm. for the, for the most part <clears throat> I haven't, you know, other than getting, <clears throat> I didn't end up getting fired over the vax mandate mm. because our governor here in Texas issued an executive order making it illegal for any business to mandate vaccines. So they ended up giving me an exemption that was going to last like six months. Um, <clears throat> but I had found a new job over that before I found this out. And so I, I left anyway. Mm-hmm. Actually, today was my last day yeah. at my my current job. Um, How's it feel? Pretty wild. Well, it's, it's weird. It doesn't feel much like anything because almost everybody's on vacation. So it was like my last day and there was no one to even tell, <laughs> you know, cause it's not like I'm, I go into an office, I work from home. Mm-hmm. And so anybody that I would tell is out on vacation. Yeah. So <laughs> I just don't work there anymore. <laughs> That's so weird. It's like, you know, you'd figure like there'd be like a, a zoom, a happy hour or something like that. You know, it's like you were there for five years, you know? Well, that's the point, though. Everybody's on vacation, so there's no possibility to do that. Well, usually you have that one person office that would know that. And so right. on Friday, it's like, hey, you right. know, we're all going on vacation, but, you know. Right. But when you're on Zoom and over the internet, it's like you don't really have I think have everybody's just tired of that anyway. Yeah, totally. Like, you I probably wouldn't want to do it anyway. So. I probably would have said no. Just like, you know, send me uh, an email. <laughs> send me an email. <laughs> If you can find some uh, bullet anywhere, just send that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about where you're going? Um, Not yet. No. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's personal. <laughs> He's going to go work at a jumpy place. <laughs> a jump, a trampoline park. Trampoline park. Yes. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, but it's kind of cool. You, I mean, this whole, it's kind of starting a new year for you. You've got some new things kind of yeah. coming up and stuff. So. Yeah definitely newness for me in my personal life for sure. sure. Uh, and that's really exciting. And I think one thing I've been reflecting on a lot is, you know, whenever there is sort of newness on the horizon, there's a real healthy dose of unknown that comes along with that. Mm. And when you're facing that, that can look a lot like anxiety. Yeah. Um, cause you know, what's it going to be? It could be, 
anything, which means it could be world changing and devastating or world changing and great. You don't really know. So whenever there's that, that sort of sense of newness, uh, I think it's really important to, well, to acknowledge the risk Mm -hmm. of something undesirable happening, but also acknowledge the fact that there's as much of risk there is of that, there is opportunity for something incredible to happen. And you are not like some sort of passive um, participant in that. Mm -hmm. You're an active participant in that. And whatever it is that you attend to in that chaos of the unknown um, will will determine what emerges from it. Mm. So, you know, something I keep telling myself is like, wake up, pay attention. Hmm. And then when you have something to say, say it. And I think that's, this isn't just relating to my new job. This is just all of the newness that seems to be sort of building up, moving into the next year. Do you see ever like a a pattern in how you like maybe historically deal with new things? Like, is there something that kind of stands out to you? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of seen how you've handled things, but I, I, in, but like, how, like how you kind of go through that sort of transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tend to journal a lot hmm. uh, as a way to work out what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling, and to document it mm-hmm. because as you start moving into a space where you've got a lot of um, novel input, Luca is just. <laughs> Probably the storm. He senses the storm. He, he usually doesn't bother him. <laughs> um, whenever you're dealing with a lot of novel things, that's a lot of information. And, and how are you going to process all that? And as you do, as you think back, you know, maybe a day or two days or a week, um, how you see the way that you, you have progressed through the processing is often not correct. Hmm. So going back and looking at a journal, for instance, so I don't know, about a week ago, I started, uh, I decided I was going to journal. The last thing I did every night was going to, to be to journal before mm-hmm. I went to bed. And then the first thing I did when I woke up and just, just try to capture like, how am I feeling at the end of the day? And how am I feeling at the beginning of the day? And what things am I thinking about? And it's not a, like, that's the, the only intention behind it. You know, I'm not trying to write something worth reading or write, um, anything other than just to try to capture where am I in this mm-hmm. and, and, and what are the thoughts that are on my mind? Because that's a, that's a helpful uh, sort of like a windsock, you know, yeah. to where you're going. Did you find anything interesting as far as like, as you were doing that, that kind of stood out to you or? Yeah, actually the thing that I just said a moment ago is something I have written down a number of times, which mm. is wake up, pay attention and then basically speak when you have something to say. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the wake up and pay attention part is, that's where the, the meat of it is. Mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, you know, I've kind of talked a lot about what you give your attention to. And sometimes it's like, you have to, there's something that you ideally want to give your attention to. And there's the things that you actually give your attention to. Yeah. And it's like right. to kind of take a, 
a stock of your day and, and what you actually gave attention to. And then maybe even in the morning or whatever, you can kind of like direct yourself into the things that you actually want to give yourself attention to. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've always find that the, I think morning time is, um, is one of the most important times. I mean, it's like, it's like people, people talk about with breakfast, you know, it's like, it's the, it's the best, it's the way to start your day is eat a good breakfast. And I think there's something to that too, but it's, I think it's more than that is how you start your day kind of sets the, the tone for the rest of the day, you know? And I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's like, if I don't read and do some journaling and just some thinking in the morning, it's like, I kind of feel lost throughout the day until about noon or something like that. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's definitely a, a directing or attention focusing right. exercise, you know? Well, it feels like when you sleep, when you enter that unconscious space, which is generally filled with, um, you know, it's filled with a lot, whether it's mm-hmm. dreams or just something's going on when you're sleeping. Cause you can go to bed one way and wake up feeling a different way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you go to that unconscious space and it's like everything that your consciousness was grappling with and juggling and balancing during the day gets to kind of fall apart and get reorganized in some fashion and you wake up and if you wake up and you immediately it's like oh shit I'm late you know mm-hmm. and you're immediately rushing to go somewhere you don't have the chance to sort of like reconstitute what got taken apart at night and put it back together and see it newly and uh, and and say okay here I am this is who I am this is what I think. Mm-hmm. Let's go, you know, attack the day. Yeah. I love following Anthony Pompliano on Twitter because uh-huh. every morning he tweets, let's get after it relentlessly today. <laughs> and I love it. I look mm-hmm. forward to that tweet, which is so funny because mm-hmm. I can't imagine ever just tweeting the same thing every day, yeah. but it's like, yeah, let's, let's do that. I'm, I'm with you. Thanks for that reminder. Well, it's interesting. Like I think a lot of inspiring people that, they have something that is that sort of simple in their morning, like Jocko. It's 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Right. <laughs> or stay hard or where, you know, it's like, there's that sort of like, it's, it's really simple, but it's the, it's the part that gets you going. You know, it's like, if I get up and I do this, I know I'm, I'm starting something. Yeah. Like for me, it's just getting to the shop and having and making my first cup of coffee. Like that's all I think about. And when I'm there, it's like all the rest kind of starts to fall into place. You know, there's like a routine in that. That's that gets me to where I'm. The intention of it is is to get to that space you're right. talking about. You right. Know? I think anything you can do, any sort of practice that you can do to where there's space between waking and working. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily mean working a job, although that's part of it, but kids or whatever. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, when I, on school days with my kids, I try to get up, I do, I get up 30 minutes before them because if I don't, it's like I wake up and it's immediately, it's immediately going to work, Mm -hmm. you know, making breakfast, making lunches, waking children, getting them ready. 
And if I don't have space to sort of gather myself, um, rather when I give myself safe, when I give myself space to gather myself, I feel much less disoriented, much mm -hmm. less stressed, um, much more directed and constituted. Mm -hmm. It all feels much easier. Yeah, I definitely feel that whenever, uh, <laughs> whenever I, I choose to sleep in and, uh, or I just sleep in and I'm waking up kids. I'm usually like, Hey kids rise and shine. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, all right, everyone get up. Let's go. Yeah. It's like, Hey, <laughs> right. It's like, I, I don't have that same, like skip in my step. Yeah. I don't know. What else are you thankful for? What's, uh, yeah, I, I feel, I feel thankful for where we live and I feel thankful for, well, partly because it feels like there's an appropriate amount, amount of freedom mm -hmm. in terms of sort of COVID policies and everybody feels somewhat differently about it. And that's good. I'm, I'm glad for that. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm glad that, you know, for the most part, um, I'm not being asked to do anything I don't want to do. And I'm also thankful for where we live because I think partly because of all of that, it's becoming this, uh, what would you say? Sort of like Mecca of hmm. sort of exciting innovation with so many different companies moving here. Yeah. The company that I'm going to work for next, uh, just moved here from California, you know, as did Tesla, as did what are the other big ones, Oracle. And, um, it just feels like uh, this city in particular feels ripe for innovation and oh, Samsung is building an eighteen billion dollars facility out at uh, Taylor, Texas. Oh wow, in yeah. Taylor, mm -hmm. Taylor's going to pop off. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Interesting. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Were I feel thankful for I feel thankful <laughs> for 2022. I'm just excited about it. <clears throat> I agree. I think there's a lot of opportunity kind of coming yeah. coming up. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things with there's there's some things I feel like I'm tiptoeing into that I think 2022 are going to kind of um, bring a lot of insight into those things, you know, everything from, you know, my, uh, my business to some possible investments, um, to even my kids and, and what their future is going to look like. And I, I don't think I'm starting to see like their future will look nothing like ours. And I've been really concerned and thinking about how to prepare them for that. And I really want the tools to be able to prepare them. Mm -hmm. You know, I, from what I've been gathering more and more is a college degree is not going to do what it did for me, you know? And that was not very, I think we were still, we were at that beginning stages of a college degree didn't mean what it used to mean, mm -hmm. but we didn't know it. Nobody really knew it at the time. Um, but that's something that, that's something I really want to be able to do is give my kids sort of guidance and help and support 
as they move into, you know, the workforce or choosing a career or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but the landscape is going to change dramatically in the next five to 10 years with, you know, with AI, with, you know, there's a lot of stuff with cryptos that's going to change the world. Um, uh, it's just not going to look the same. <laughs> well, the strange thing about that is I think we're going to have a really hard time, uh, helping our kids move into this new future yeah. because it's new to us too. Mm -hmm. it, it isn't as though we have sort of experience that we can impart to them. Yeah. You know, like, um, <coughs> figuring out how to monetize success on success on social media, for example, mm -hmm. that's something that is a possibility for our kids that is just really new. Um, you know, and there's some people that obviously do understand that, but you and I don't. And, mm -hmm. um, even categorically it's, it's, you mean the shores of ignorance isn't making billions of dollars? <laughs> if, if it is, uh, no one <laughs> has told know. me. <laughs> I have a secret account that I just don't tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, I've been listening to a few podcasts and it's where we've been talking about web three and trying to kind of metaverse and that kind of stuff and trying to wrap my head around that is there's going to be whole, which we're already seeing the, the precursors to there's a whole economy that's going to be happening online that there's no borders to. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't know how I feel about that. Part of me is like, ah, oh, you know, you have part of your life online and, mm -hmm. and we kind of have kind of stumbled into that as, as Gen Xers and millennials into the sort of like, Oh look, Oh man, Facebook takes up 20% of my life. Right. And I have these real relationships. Well, what does that mean? Real relationships. Yeah. And that's going to mean something different for our kids. It's like, what's the, what's the negative drawbacks of that? Maybe our online personalities, ourselves, however you want to look at it, maybe take up more of our time, you know, and we've kind of seen that in, in, through the pandemic is like we spend a lot of time online with work and through personal interaction, you know? Right. I don't know why some of that makes me sad, but I don't know if, I don't know if you can go back if there's maybe, maybe there'll be like a, a reformation where people are like, no, <laughs> we want to be with people. Um, it probably most likely be some sort of mix of the two, but I think that's that metaverse and online activity is really here to stay. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I think into the future, you know, the next, let's say five years and try to imagine sort of what's going to happen. It's, it's nearly impossible, but I think mm -hmm. almost all of it's going to be like net new experiences. Mm -hmm. And we, we already spend, a legitimate amount of our time online. I think I, a lot of ourselves, however you conceptualize that already exists almost primarily in the online space. Mm -hmm. The thing that the things that don't yet exist there are things like money, mm -hmm. money, but money is already moving there. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> My gears are going slow tonight. <laughs> no, I think that's the part that we're, we're in the middle of this 
this transition, this sort of, uh, this new, uh, interaction with reality. That's not just physical. It's, it's, um, ones and zeros also. And I think that's going to be, cause I can still remember back whenever Skype was a thing. Ah, that was the word Skype. I think it was one of the episodes back. I couldn't figure the word, but <laughs> Skype. Yeah. But it was like one of those things you'd, you'd get onto and you'd like, we had friends in you know, Latin America and stuff, Columbia, I think it was. And we'd talk to them and they'd be like, you know, it's like words were lagging and right. skipping and, but it was a, such a phenomenal that you were able to talk to somebody. It didn't cost you like $30 or something like that. Yeah. You know? I remember collect calls. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So I, I think that's it's just going to be, it, it's almost like we can't even imagine what that, what that world is going to look like for mm-hmm. our kids. I feel, I feel, I, I kind of thankful in that sense too. I feel a little bit more prepared than maybe most or many parents in that area because that's something that interests you and I, and we've been trying to understand, right. You know, what is this digital world? What is, um, what is crypto? How does that really interact? And it's, I think it's more of like you kind of, the, the kind of boomer um, uh, cliche is sort of like, it's not real. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, no, it is real. And then you start looking at money in general, like, well, what is real about money? And it kind of gives you a a whole new perspective on a lot of these things that we've accepted as real. Yeah. And it almost brings out the, it's almost truer in, in representing money. Yeah more authentic maybe does that make sense yeah i've got a a number of thoughts swirling around i'm trying to find an entry point but the thought maybe maybe this is it that as we move into a reality in which more and more of our experiences exist in a sort of non-real area Mm mm-hmm which isn't exactly fair to say. I mean, I think that the internet is as real as, you know, you and I sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder what will happen. I, I wonder that for a couple of reasons. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, I, I listened to an interview with Ian McGilchrist who wrote the master and his emissary. Uh, it's a really fascinating book about the reason that our brains are bifurcated into two hemispheres hmm. and, one of the things he says in that book is that all language is metaphorical. It has to be because it's an abstraction of an embodied experience. So every word has to be understood um, in a way that you can experience with your body. Hmm. And more and more sort of complicated and elegant language gets more and more um, nuanced and specific about an embodied experience, but it can always be, you can always take the root of words down to something that is like means to touch or to feel or to hear or to see. Um, cause that's really what we understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we are diverging our experiences into an online space, 
that can't be experienced in an embodied way, what sort of, you know, what might be the consequences of that divergence? Hmm. He also makes the point in his book that the left hemisphere deals with abstractions. It deals with categorizations. It basically deals with what you know. Which is interesting. I mean, because I would say, like, my understanding until I read that was, like, I would have thought that the right hemisphere would dealt with abstractions, but his point that there, that I think that, that kind of, kind of like, kind of gave me a a double take. Like why is the left hemisphere engaging with abstractions? I always think of that as more of the solid facts or something like that. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, um, what can we abstract from knowledge and, Mm -hmm. and facts into, categories like words Mm -hmm. or categories like numbers, things like that. Mm -hmm. What can we sort of index and file away? Yeah. And that is an abstraction. It's removed from the thing itself and and re-represented. I love that because it it actually is a, is a more true representation of what that is. Like our left hemisphere, the left hemisphere is for abstraction. Like how can I put this into a category or a um, parentheses that sort of encapsulates this idea. Yeah. And removes it from its source so mm-hmm. that it can be stored independently. Yeah. Yeah. And it's lacking for sure, mm-hmm. but it's, it's helpful. It's a useful tool. Yeah. Whereas the right hemisphere deals more with what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It has a sort of constant awareness of its place within the context of the unknown, the context of chaos, the context of everything that is. Mm-hmm. It deals with things like flow, like, like apparently if you, you can either, some people will have a stroke that will completely destroy one of the two hemispheres. And so you can test these people to try to figure out what would it be like to live with only one hemisphere. You can also (laughs) induce, um, uh, like, I guess, numb one side or the other and sort Mm -hmm. of shut it down. And, uh, people that have their right hemisphere deactivated have no pleasure in music, for example, because to listen to music, you have to have, and this, this thought blew me away. You have to, you're, you have to remember the, what came previously in the song in order for what you're listening to at any given moment to mean anything at all. Hmm. The left hemisphere deals with slices. The right hemisphere deals with flow of things and how they interact with one another. Hmm. So without the right hemisphere, music is nothing. There's no pleasure in it. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, apparently, uh, if you deactivate the left hemisphere, you can lose the ability to read and write um, and, and to speak. However, you won't lose the ability to curse because <laughs> cursing does not happen in the same part of the brain as speaking. It's something completely different. That's interesting. But also if you lose the left hemisphere and you lose the ability to read and write, apparently this has happened to some composers, some music composers, they've lost the ability to read and write words, but they can still read and write and compose their music Hmm. with no discernible difference from the, uh, their previous state. That's fascinating. Yeah. All that to say McGilchrist's thesis is that, 
as a, as a culture. So he says that the, the two hemispheres uh, dispose attention onto, onto the world in different ways. Mm-hmm. And that as a culture, we have given primacy to a left hemisphere style of attending to the world. And his prediction is that that precedes the destruction of societies and sort of posits that that this has happened before in Rome, for example. Mm -hmm. And as I'm looking around, um, so just to sort of recap, the left hemisphere is abstracted. The right hemisphere is more embodied. And it's, if we are moving towards this dissociated digital reality, which is a re-representation of actual reality, um, but it is abstracted, is that, does that escalate us towards seeing the world in a way that is dangerously one-sided? Because you need context mm-hmm. for there to be any meaning like if you could say the left hemisphere knows a fact, well, the right hemisphere knows why that fact matters. And if you forget why things matter, then you're just wielding like a blunt object indiscriminately. And when I look at things happening in our culture right now, for example, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, I think this is some, it's insane to me that in the day and age that we're in, that we have all of the information or more information that's ever been, than ever has been accessible to anyone. And you have prominent media outlets telling contradictory stories about the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. And like, how could this be? <clears throat> you know, yeah. simple things like Kyle Rittenhouse shoots three people and one media outlet's reporting that he shot three black people. Another media outlet says it's three white people. Like, this is not hard to figure out. Yeah. We can, we know who the people, you just go look who the people are. But it's starting to make sense to me why our narratives are getting more and more insane and separated from reality because they're getting very sort of left hemisphere in style. Like, I'm, I'm dealing with what I know and I'm not checking what I know against the context of reality and figuring out what it means, figuring Mm -hmm. out if it's right or wrong. The left hemisphere doesn't ever think it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's like always I've brought in new information. This is what I know. What I know is what I know. And what I know is correct. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot to change it, but it started to explain to me, um, as I thought about that, well, McGilchrist's thesis started to to come into light. Well, I think there's something with that, that, makes sense to me as far as like even the left hemisphere aspect of that where you do uh, you do start to kind of move into sort of the echo chamber like those people who agree with you or they're reporting the news the way that you want it and that's one idea with the metaverse is that you can then curate your world to whatever viewpoints you agree with or that the way that you want to see reality and so there's something about that. I think that's one of the, the negative aspects that we've seen specifically in media and with the internet. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I I can't tell you how many people I've heard not stop following their friends or family that are Democrats or Republicans, you know, just because of that very fact, it's like, how far removed do you get before you're only in the worlds that you have created? 
you know? Right. And so I think that's one drawback of sort of this, this sort of new sort of metaverse and creating your worlds and personas is that it could be just a, a, a feedback loop that you mm-hmm. only, you only participate and, and, uh, develop in the world that you want to and choose to, right. Uh, sort of, uh, facilitate or grow or interact with, you know? Right. It's like where like in real life, it's like you go to your, go to Thanksgiving is like, well, you're going to have a Trump supporter. You're going to have a Biden supporter. You're going to have an Obama supporter. You can have a, you know, it's like you have a lot more, you have to actually interact and, and work through these ideas. Right. And it's, and that's, and that's healthy, you know, and it's almost like with the metaverse and that kind of stuff, you almost have to choose to expose yourself to these other perspectives or other ways of seeing things. I think that's already the case. Yeah, it is already the case. I agree. Yeah. You know, with, with the, the proliferation of information and the, and the necessary curation of that, whether that's via algorithms or just simply choosing to spend more of your time on Instagram than Twitter, for example, Mm -hmm. you are choosing what you're exposing yourself to. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that it's not only possible, but you almost can't avoid ending up in a bubble where you aren't seeing everything because you can't see everything. There's just too much. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to be a real problem that we're going to have to contend with. Yeah. And I think that our current complaints about it, like, you know, oh, there's Russian misinformation, which was the or disinformation, Mm -hmm. which was the big thing in the 2016 election. Yeah. Like that was the source of our trouble. So let's figure that out. It's like, this is a very naive Mm -hmm. response to the problem. The problem is much bigger than that. Yeah. Or even the, you know, the, over the last two years with COVID, you know, this, this, um, move for social medias to take down information that they say is misinformation. That's also a very naive solution to a very real problem. And we're arguing about it at a political level mm-hmm. as if this is really important. And I just don't think it's important mm-hmm. um, because it's not, it, it can't possibly be the solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, we did see that with like, uh, you know, the whole Wuhan virus uh, coming from Wuhan and, and then, that was misinformation at one point. Now it's not, it's kind of back on the table again. I mean, there is a certain responsibility that like we do have to display and to hold these different viewpoints on the table and to be fair and equal for some degree. And we need to be discriminate too. It's like, Hey, I think this is less likely or something like that. But we've kind of turned it into demonizing anybody who thinks differently than we yeah. do. I think that's the, or are we end up into extreme? Like, you know, just because a person is white, that this means it's white supremacist or everything is white supremacist. And it's sort of like, man, that is like so, so simplistic. And, <laughs> and not, just not being able to see the nuance in, how we interact as a society and people. And I think that's, 
Well, I think it, I think it pushes us, all of this pushes us in, into a world that is much more spiritual and perhaps superstitious than the world we think we're living in. Like we think we're living in an enlightened scientific space, but I, I, I would argue that we're actually living in more, more of like the great inquisition Hmm. than we are, you know, um, I don't know what the alternative example would be, but like some sort of science, science based, uh, worldview. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the science based worldview is being thrown around as if that is what's important, but there's just literally so much information and so many voices that the question is no longer what's true. The question is, what do you believe? Mm -hmm. And that's actually, I think why, there is an attack on misinformation because the fear is people are going to believe something that's going to make them act in a way that isn't good for them or that isn't good for me, but it's all about belief. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, the people saying all of that are just responding to their own particular set of beliefs that are gathered because they've seen a particular set of information. Which I, I somewhat agree with is like, there is a lot of misinformation on the internet and you know, especially like, you know, you get sick, you go look at, you know, WebMD and you're like, Oh my gosh, it's like, it's not misinformation. It's your interpretation of the information on that side. And it's like, so there's a little bit that we also have to take personal responsibility. And I think that's something that we're having to learn right now as a society, because we have, there's so much information available to us where, you know, you know, in the nineties and the eighties, you have, you had three networks basically, you know, NBC, ABC and CBS. That's all I remember. And then HBO came along, you know, it's like, but you didn't have as, as many avenues of, of our resources to get your information from and whatever paper you read, you know? Right. Um, so I think that's something as a society that we're having to learn is to be more responsible and maybe hold things a little bit lightly. You know, I love the saying of like, have strong, opi- have strong opinions, but listen as if they are wrong. Mm. And there's something about that is, is there's nothing wrong with having a strong opinion, but, but really listening as if those opinions are wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's a little bit of that that's lost, but I think that's, I think that's something that we can learn and we'll, will learn. I think something that we're seeing and we've talked about this too, is just, I think as we start seeing those who have strong opinions and are not willing to listen as if they're wrong, become more and more out of tune with reality. And it's not something that, that is apparent at the beginning and it might take a couple of years or months or whatever it might be, but it does seem to kind of like the cream rises to the top and <laughs> you get to see it for what it is, you know? Um, but that stuff takes time. Yeah. And like, and then I think the people who are wanting to take away or to sort of subdue misinformation quotation marks <laughs> mm-hmm. are I, possible. I think have good intentions because it's like, we don't want a lot of bullshit on the internet, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes bullshit on the internet helps us get to the truth, but it takes work and it takes responsibility and accountability to get there. And I think, I think that's a really, I think that's a hard road to walk, you know? 
I don't know. I think we do want a lot of bullshit on the internet. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because maybe what's so simplistic about what we're trying to point out about the idea of mis- of misinformation. What's so simplistic about that is, is it isn't as if there is, there's information which is correct and there's information which is incorrect. Like we live in a much more complicated and nuanced world than that. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, it's one thing you could say that that's true of reporting, like report something that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a hard thing to do, to do that without bias, to simply report the facts and those can be correct or incorrect. But yeah. then what happens after that? You know, stuff enters the cultural zeitgeist, the mindset, and we start talking about it. We start memeing about it, making jokes about it, uncovering another layer of what's true about it Mm. as it passes through the organs of, um, like our cultural body. (laughs) That's great. I just had this vision of like the large intestine and the small intestine and like, as it goes through it, it takes out all the nutrients right. and then it shits out the yeah. stuff you can't use. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, it's not so easy to say, well, is this meme correct or incorrect? Well, it's neither. It's something else. Mm-hmm. Is that misinformation? You know, it, I suppose if you could use it to believe or make an argument that someone else doesn't want made as a result of the facts, mm-hmm. you could say, yeah, that's misinformation. It's not correct. Yeah. But that's not the appropriate level with which to analyze things. Mm-hmm. So this idea that there is something that there things are either correct or incorrect. Things are either true or false, I think is a much too simplistic way to look at the, the world. And, and especially the way that the world, uh, interacts with itself and in and, and people interact with each other in this time. Yeah. Well, I think that's the part that's the scary part is you don't want, you don't want someone to capture the, um, the information dissemination because then that's, then there's sort of like gatekeepers to being able to put that sort of checks and balances. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of like a comic, you know, that tells a joke and everybody laughs and they tell another joke and they sort of laugh because they're not really sure, you know, and, and there's just sort of like testing. I think that's what comics do. They kind of test you. Yeah. Like, is this funny or is this, was this out of line? Was this so true that maybe it wasn't funny? And we need to kind of like have these, these things in our society that kind of test us and help us work through that. I think Chappelle does this really well. You see such dramatic responses to his, his uh, routines. And there's something about that, that really like, why am I responding this way to him? Hmm. Like there's something that there's something in this that I'm not, I'm not getting or he's out of line. And I, th- I think that's, but the, the goal of that is not to get rid of him because he may be out of line. You know, that that's, it's more of like, he kind of tells us maybe where the lines are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you don't want to live in a totalitarian uh, society, you have to have people get out of line to know where the lines are. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're just relying on somebody to tell you where they are and dictating what you can and can't do. Yeah. Like 
we need people, ideally comedians, <clears throat> to show us what is uncomfortable. So we're like, oh, that was touching mm-hmm. a nerve. Maybe we don't go that far that way. Yeah. Um, or he's touching a nerve, and it's like, oh, we might need to deal with that. That needs to be that needs to be expressed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It could be an indication of something that needs attention. Mm-hmm. Like a festering wound in society. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely hear it from like, it's interesting here, different groups as, as comics kind of bring this out. It's like, we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. If there's, if there's, if we're not able to laugh at ourselves in whatever demographic or group that you're a part of, it's like that kind of like brings up awareness, you know, that sort of embodied aspect. Like, why do I feel this way about Mm -hmm. this? And, you know, again, that's something that is through media and sort of like that, you know, you can go to a show, but you can also watch on Netflix and still experience that sort of, sort of awareness or check that comedians kind of bring to us. Hmm. No, even, yeah, even like podcasts, you know, it's like, there's probably things that you guys agree with us and some things that you guys disagree with us. And it's, you know, I think that's part of what we, we, we want to do is sort of, you know, we're testing our boundaries. It's like, do I think that, do I really think that? Right. Why do I think that? And then kind of to explore it, and, and, you know, you and I kind of go back and forth and sometimes we're just talking out loud <laughs> and we don't know exactly what we're saying, but as we're saying it and you respond to me, it's like, it helps me better see what I'm actually saying. And then I can kind of refine that. Well, that's why, again, the idea that things are either true or untrue, correct or incorrect is far too simplistic because you don't know until Mm -hmm. you enact it in the world. Mm. It's like, you don't know what you think until you try to tell me and Mm -hmm. I reflect to you, I respond to you and you're like, Oh, that's what I, yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) something wrong with that. Or actually that sounds better than I thought it sounded, you know, (laughs) totally. it's like, you don't really know yourself until you, enact yourself in relationship with someone or something. And that's so important. And you're, and, and it, if you're going to allow that process, you have to allow things to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, even think about it with our kids. So like, like you and I've lived quite a few more years than our kids but they still need to be able to practice that. So we have to allow them to sort of like speak and act in the world in a way that maybe we understand that that's not good or healthy, but there's also part of our responsibility is like, you can't stifle that because they need that to have that experiential knowledge of acting and speaking out into the world that is beneficial for them. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sort of, wisdom i think as we get older and with age that i would imagine that as you get older that you're you're more willing and accepting of people that maybe think differently from you 
you know, and, and I, I'm not thinking of like a curmudgeonly old man or, or lady or something like that, but I'm thinking of people like I really respect. It's like, they're sort of like almost allow you to act out in a certain way because they're kind of, there's something in their mind that maybe like, I might be wrong about this or mm. I don't understand <clears throat> it fully enough. Mm. And there's something about youthfulness that, that sort of revives the ancient, you know, and that's sort of symbolized in elders interacting with the, the youth of the, of the generation. It's like the elders have something valuable to give and to impart on the youth, but the youth also has like this part to like revigor, revigor, reinvigorate the elders or the ancient too, and to help them to keep kind of like dust, dust some of the, <laughs> they revive them. <laughs> How did you say that? The youth revive the ancient. Yeah. Reinvigorate the ancient. Reinvigorate. Yeah. That was good. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just love the idea. I think that's something that's kind of throughout our podcast. Is there something that the youth and even in its... um, No. Even in its youthfulness, it's sort of that is so helpful and useful to those who are maybe elders. You know, it's like you think of like a, a 70 year old hanging out with a 20 year old, like they both benefit each other Hmm. and, but they carry something differently. Um, like a 70 year old should be able to be tolerant of maybe a 20 year olds. I know everything, you know, (laughs) but at the same time, a 20 year old, to be captivated by the 70 year olds, 70 years of wisdom and mm-hmm. life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's the space that we need to, I feel like cultivate and to protect is that the youth have something to say, but the, the elders have something to impart, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and, and also I think there's a wisdom, you know, again, this might be getting into a whole other subject too, but we've kind of brushed into this is like the elders need to learn and know when to hand off to the next generation. And I think of like the boomers handing it off to the Gen Xers, to the Gen Xers, to the millennials, to the Gen Zs, you know, it's, there's a wisdom to know when to sort of, usher in that next period or the next age, because if you don't, you kind of miss, you miss the, the fruits of each, of each generation. Yeah. Like I would almost say like the boomer generation, again, huge generalization has not allowed the Gen Xers to really shine and come forth. Well, hold on. I'm going to take myself back now. I just was, I was just going through like all the ages of, of people that I really respect. And they're all that sort of like elder Gen Xers right now. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like basically from a, I think Zuckerberg's 37, but most of them kind of fit more into the 45 to 55 year range. Do you respect Zuckerberg? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I do. But I, there's so much, there's sort of the portrayal of him and he's awkward mm-hmm. and he did the stupid commercial and I totally get how people can, I mean, he probably shouldn't, have, he's not Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like, but I, I don't, 
I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Hmm. You know, Jack Dorsey is another one. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. It's like, there's some things with his companies outside of square, probably more with Twitter that I'm kind of like, Oh dude, but, but there's also something about him. I'm like, uh, I think there's more than what I see or understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Elon Musk, you know, is another one. Um, Steve jobs, you know, it's like, and again, it's not that these people are like pillars of morality or something like that. You right. know, it's like, you know, Bezos is 57. Peterson's 59. He might be 57 too, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think these, these people, uh, Brett Weinstein's 52. It's like they have, they've, they've kind of spent a lot of time on in places in their fields and have kind of got some expertise that I think they're, they're sharing. That's really worthwhile to listen to. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something you said about the the 70 year old and the 20 year old Mm. and they each are good for each other. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think that it isn't as if there is some objective world, which people are either right or wrong about. Mm. That seems to be the way that we are defining morality these days. Mm hmm. Because if you imagine a 70-year-old and a 20-year-old, there's something else completely there. You know, the naive arrogance of the 20-year-old is going to allow the 20-year-old to do things that the 70-year-old couldn't. Mm -hmm. But the wisdom of the 70-year-old is going to allow the 70-year-old to do things that the 20-year-old couldn't. Mm -hmm. So there's, and, and for the two of them to interact will enrich both of them this doesn't have anything to do with correctly or incorrectly observing the objective world. This is something completely different. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think that what really matters to us isn't exactly the facts, but it's what they mean. Mm -hmm. And it is the reincorporation of information into sort of this right hemisphere model. Hmm. Okay. We've established a fact. Is it, is it correct or incorrect? It's, it's even a lot to even say that because correct or incorrect as compared to what, as measured within what direction Mm -hmm. toward what goal. And that's where everything breaks down into something that is much more relational Hmm. and why it makes perfect sense to say that a 20 year old and seven year old, you know, would add something to each other's experiences. Well, it seems like in that way you do reflect reality. You do reflect the objective reality is because as people act in the world and you experience and engage in that breadth of, um, experience, that there, that it seems like that objective reality emerges, you know, out of that. And it's not that anybody has, um, has a ownership of that objective reality, but it, 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 through relationship and interaction, 
across generations, that objective reality sort of manifests itself. It, yeah, it is created mm-hmm. as an emergent property. Emergent property. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Which is like a, like I still don't have my mind wrapped around this, but I think McGilchrist does a good, he, he planted the seed. Uh, I think Eric Neumann with history and origins of consciousness mm-hmm. helped get me a little further. Um, and then what was that guy? Who was that guy that, that, uh, hypothesized that consciousness was fundamental and things like space time were emergence, emergent properties of consciousness. Oh yeah. The argument against reality. Yeah. Or like as Donald something or another. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that was kind of the <laughs> blew <Yeah>. open the door <laughs> and I started thinking about things much differently, uh-huh. but I think it, I, I really, do, I think I really do believe that, that mm-hmm. whatever it is that we call objective reality is simply an emergent property that I think comes out of relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't think of a, of an example of objective reality that, well, that we can meaningfully say anything about without the relationship between myself and it mm-hmm. or the relationship between you and I and it. Yeah. So what it, things are what they mean, not what they are. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's another way to say it. Things are what they mean, but not what they are. Hmm. I mean, you take a simple object, mm-hmm. right? Like a cup. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. What is a cup? Mm-hmm. Well, it's something that allows me to drink so that, but that's a meaningful explanation. So you could, mm-hmm. you could say, well, take a more scientific explanation, you know, well, it's a, it's glass. Why, <clears throat> you know, well, why is it glass? Mm-hmm. There's something important about that. And a cup is not defined by whether it's glass. There's something about the receptacle and the way that mm-hmm. it's used and that has meaning because of its usefulness. But right. But we made it out of glass and not plastic mm-hmm. because that matters to the particular liquid we want to put in it in the mm-hmm. way that it tastes to us. Yeah. So you could get more, you could break it down further and say, well, what's glass made out of what's mm-hmm. the atomic structure and, and all of that. But that only, you can even only talk about that through the context of what it means, uh, to engage in that inquiry mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, some other inquiry. Yeah. I mean, everything starts with a proposition of meaning and that meaning is relational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause even like glass, so glass can have to do with many, many things, but we're talking about glass as a receptacle for drinking mm-hmm. and yeah, it's like there's, there's context and in, in relationship and, and how you're interacting with that thing, you know? Yeah, which is why I say there's no such thing as as an objective world. Hmm. It's an emergent property of meaning. I don't know if I can go there all the way. Because I would say there is an objective world. But but we experience it subjectively. Because if you you don't have the, the foundation of an objective world, then... There's sort of like, I can... I could possibly... I could could possibly arbitrarily create meaning, but th- we know that's not true. You know, it's, I can't like, you're not a seal. 
<laughs> Maybe a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I just had strong deja vu. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, what you just said, you can't arbitrarily create meaning. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Because if it's arbitrary, it's not meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It has to be non-arbitrary for it to be meaningful. Well, I think the more mar- arbitrary it becomes... Well, yeah, I, I, okay, I do see where you're going. It's like it has to be meaningful because, like, if you, you know, again, like the whole argument that all these things are white supremacists, at some point that that word loses meaning. It's sort of like, well, if everything is, then what? I mean, is there anything besides that? You don't, you don't have any kind of concept of like. And now it just becomes an arbitrary word. It doesn't doesn't really mean anything. Well, it's funny how we switched from racism to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a function of that. Yeah. Like, you didn't really hear that Kyle Rittenhouse was a racist, or this is evidence of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. It was all about white supremacy. Yeah. And I think that's because we culturally did such a good job at calling everything racist that racist stopped meaning anything. Mm-hmm. So you can't say something's racist and have that matter. Mm-hmm. So we had to sort of you know, rebrand to white supremacy, which is such a thing, a weird thing to rebrand to because like when was, when was there an actual white supremacist like in the last 50 years? Mm -hmm. I can't think of anybody, you know? Yeah. But now we've co-opted that and we're trying to like call everything white supremacy now. Mm -hmm. And that's going to have the same problem. So you're going to have to keep escalating. Yeah. Keep rebranding for it to mean anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Until it means nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I feel, I feel on the shores for on the sure. Shores. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. Edge of my consciousness. Yeah. Edge of my understanding. I think there's a lot. Well, so just to, to bring it back to the beginning of our conversation about newness. Mm-hmm. You know, even all of these ideas that we're just throwing around here, um, sloppily and, (laughs) you know, uh, there's a new picture taking shape, at least I think for you and I, Mm -hmm. about the way to understand the world. We didn't even get into, uh, (laughs) things like, um, war and inflation and, and debt and, um, something we're learning about right now. Maybe Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that soon, but there's a lot of newness and it's all very fuzzy and very foggy, but every, you know, as you continue to interact with it and to try to like have these, these sort of like stumble through these conversations, Mm. you start to see things emerge from that fog and like, Mm. Oh, that's right. That's where that goes. This, this fits here. Okay. And you start to, to build a new model for how to interact, um, with ideas and with the world. And I feel excited and hopeful that over the next year, you and I via this podcast, will start to put some more of that together. Um, and I have the same sense about society as a whole. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm actually very positive about the next few years. <laughs> It could all go to hell. It could all go to hell. hell or yeah. something incredible could emerge from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, it's like. I'm for the latter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, where do you put your attention? Because you are an active participant in the world that emerges from the unknown. So mm-hmm. 
put your attention on what you're excited about, not what you're worried about. Mm-hmm. Take note, but <laughs> yeah, wake up, pay yeah. attention. Uh-huh. When you have something to say, say it. Yeah. And find those that you can say it to and yeah, with. Right. That's important. All right. Cheers. All right, cheers <clears throat> on the shores, laying down, looking at the stars. <laughs> I love it. That was a visual. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. See you guys. Bye.